Well, hello there, and thanks for tuning in to HC Conversations, a podcast where we have discussions around faith, life, politics, and more, and how to navigate those things as a follower of Jesus. You'll also find audio from weekly messages at Hope Community. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Let's jump in. All right, we're doing this. We are back with HC Conversations. Good yep. to have you all joining us today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, tonight, whenever you are listening. It's good to have you here. We've been talking about the deconstruction, deconversion of faith, some of the things that cause people to walk away from specifically the Christian faith, um, and tackling what we feel are some issues. It's like, yeah, those are legitimate concerns, but so often the things that cause us to walk away from Jesus have nothing to do with Jesus. Right. Have to do with a, a false version of faith that we were presented, or even presented as like, this is the only way, when in reality, um, like scholars, Christians throughout generations uh, have debated. And like, you know mm-hmm. what, there's some things that we're just not sure about. And it's right. okay to, to not be sure or to change your mind on some stuff. But at the end of the day, Jesus. So we're unpacking some of that stuff. And I, I do believe today is actually the last one of these. Yes. We'll start something new um, next week. Uh, just, just a reminder, if you're listening to this and there's like a question that you have that we haven't addressed or you'd like to hear more about something, send that to us. We would love that. Um, hopecommunityonline.org go over to the, the contact us section and you'll you'll find emails and all those things or find us on Facebook or Instagram and send us a DM so today we're wrapping this thing up with pain and suffering that's right ouch it hurts yeah so uh, I guess the 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 problem of pain and suffering the issue with pain and suffering that how can there be a good God with so much just jacked up stuff in the world? Right. Um, or I couldn't believe in a good God that would allow, would allow X to this happen. to happen. Um, slavery, child trafficking, um, natural disasters, um, poverty, uh, you know, on and on. Mm-hmm. Coronavirus, like there's this virus, right. this ravaging cancer, um, racism, injustice, on and on. There's all the terrible, terrible things we see in the world, pain and suffering, whether that's something that you've personally experience, seen somebody else experience, or see the world at large. How is there a good and loving God if that is a reality? Right. Um, Go. <laughs> well, thanks, Phil. You got 30 seconds to answer the Ooh, question, boy. Paul. Do it. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, we're just going to sit here in silence for 30 seconds if that's the case. <laughs> um, Silent reflection. So it says, like, the number one reason that people object to Christianity or people walk away from faith is because of this idea of pain and, or the problem of pain and suffering and honestly it's one of the like easiest objections um to avoid god mm-hmm. easiest ways to avoid god just say well i can't believe in a god that would allow that yeah. to happen yeah. um and i think part of the problem is the way that we have been taught faith in the american church in the west especially especially in our enlightenment um inspired culture uh, our secular world or a secular country that was set up by the founding fathers um, where the highest ideals are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Because we think the entire goal of life is to be happy. And so whenever we bump up against something that disrupts that happiness, well, then it can't be right. It can't somehow be good. Yeah. And so as a church, we've taught that. We've been influenced by our American culture. Right, yeah. So at the end of the day, we just, as Christians, we just want to be happy whenever we open up the pages of the Bible. We don't see that. Right. Happiness is like the highest ideal. Right. Whatever leads to my happiness is, is what is good and right. Right. Um, So we, we have that on one hand. And then on the other hand, as Christians, we have forgotten the art of lament. 
which is the art of recognizing our pain and suffering, that it is real, acknowledging that, but at the same time, recognizing that that doesn't have to define us, that there is a God who is bigger than our pain and suffering, that perhaps there there could be a greater purpose that we're not seeing. Yeah. I want to just chime in a couple of things that you said there, maybe think, you know, it's interesting that we think like, just as people in general, happiness is our highest kind of, you know, ideal. Like that, that's the, the the best thing. But then also, like you said, that's infiltrated the church, and we don't necessarily come right out and say it because, like, we we know there's something, uh, you know, wrong with that. Although there are strains of Christianity that's just like, if you're following Jesus and you have enough faith, He's just going to bless you right. with health and happiness get, and give wealth. Give you an extra measure of favor. Yeah, um, which is just again, if you kind of actually read the Bible, especially in its context, that's that's a load of hogwash. That was fun. Um, but yeah, like we just think of some of the things that even Jesus said, like the Sermon on the Mount, um, the, the Beatitudes, you know, we'll translate them oftentimes as blessed, but you could also translate them as happy. Right. <laughs> happy are the poor. Happy and blessed are, are those who are hungry, who are thirsty, and those who mourn. And so it's like, wait, there's got to be something else going right, on here. Because clearly those are the people that are suffering, right, experiencing those, those, some sort yeah. of a, a pain, and yet um, they're happy or blessed. Yeah. So that, that's, that's one thing that, that came to mind know when you said that um the other thing that is kind of guess rattling around in my brain is you know you said a lot of people will walk away from faith or specifically christianity because of this and i i just want to i mean just kind of pause for a second and it's, it's i'm thinking like but every single worldview doesn't matter if it's a re- like of any of the world religions or if it's you know just secularism that says i don't believe in you know a god it's atheism it's agnosticism Every worldview has to answer the question of, well, what do we do with pain and suffering? Right. We're going get, to get into that. Yeah. So it's just like, huh. Like, that's not something. So even if, if, if maybe you've walked away from faith or you've considered walking away, at some point we still have to wrestle this question. Like, okay, what do I do with a world right. that quite often is just a crap show? Right. <laughs> like, what do I do with this? And maybe somebody told you that this is something that you should believe. Um, and it's it's really if you whenever you start to dig into it, it's really honestly an easy cop out for wrestling with hard things uh, in life and in faith. Um, and we're just gonna yeah get into it. It's a it's a question. Uh, the problem of evil and suffering is one that everybody has to ask at some point. Yes, Phil. Phil's got his hands I up. I have a question. I just wanted to add one more thing because that's not a question. Then can I add one more thing? Yes. That's a question. <laughs> is, I, I, whatever we're going to talk about, none of it is emotionally satisfying. That's what I was just going to say. Oh, darn it, Paul. I don't have your notes in front of me. Okay, you say it. <laughs> Go ahead. So there are no emotionally satisfying answers to It was literally exactly what you were going suffering. to say. It was. Um, you know, un- unlike other questions that we ask that can make us feel better, there are some questions that maybe intellectually satisfying but when it comes to pain and suffering this is one that gets to our deepest emotions that makes us feel something and so what we can talk about at the end of the day and solve this problem intellectually there is no answer that's going to make you feel better uh, especially if you're going through a painful thing right now if you're suffering with something um, because it's something that's real for each and every one of us we've all seen something we all know somebody that's maybe suffered we all know somebody or have experienced something that's been painful that makes us ask, well, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God allow something to happen like that? 
And so we ask that, but we have to recognize that we're not the first people to ever wrestle with that question, that perhaps other people have asked that and come to a conclusion before us. But in our day and age, when we're impressed with everything new, we think that we're the originators of that question when we're not. Uh, every generation of Christians has asked this question. Jewish people ask this question. Uh, and these things have been included in our, uh, in our Bible. Um, let me just fast forward through some of my notes here. So Christians believe that the presence of evil and pain and suffering in the world actually points us to God and not away from God. And this is a question that the Bible doesn't shy away from. It's a question that, as I said before, it's not just a Christian question. It's one that all religions must answer. Every person must acknowledge this, whether you're an atheist or agnostic. And so how do other religions answer this question? Well, New Age philosophy says that evil and suffering are just illusions, that they're not really real. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. It's just made up. Well, tell that to somebody that's actually <laughs> actually suffering. Yeah. Tell that to somebody who is suffering in the hospital right now from COVID-19. Tell them that, well, it's, it's not really real. It's just made up. Well, there are a lot of people who are trying to say that. I know. We're not going to get into that. We've already <laughs> talked about that. I couldn't help but comment on it, okay? Christianity teaches that evil and suffering are very real. It doesn't try to cover it up. It acknowledges it, it comes head on um, with this problem. Hinduism, uh, you have the idea of karma, that what goes around comes around. If you suffer, well, it's because you have somehow deserved it. You did something bad and therefore, yeah. Sorry, tough luck. It's, it's coming. It's you, you got what's coming to you. Yeah. And so therefore you shouldn't do anything to help anybody else that's suffering because you're messing with karma and right. therefore they're getting what they deserve. Yeah, yeah. Bad things are going to start happening to you because you're getting in the way of karma. And so karma justifies and legitimizes evil acts. Let me just say that again, because we throw karma around like, Oh, that's just karma. And we think karma is like a great thing. Karma justifies and legi legitimizes evil acts. Who wants that? Not I. I don't think anybody would say, I want right. there to be evil. I want to, to justify my evil against another human being. Mm -hmm. No, nobody would say that. Yeah. And, and Jesus actually confronted this issue. When somebody um, asked him, why was this man born blind? Jesus responded that it was so that God could be glorified. He said, we don't know why this man was yeah. born blind. It wasn't his parents that sinned. It wasn't him that sinned because that was the, the thinking in the day. Right. Though, If this man was born blind, then obviously his parents did something bad. And Jesus said, no, it wasn't any of that. Right. We don't know why, yeah. but God can use it. And then Jesus went and he healed this man. Mm -hmm. um, and it, so you know, that comes from the, the book of John when people ask that question. So that's, that's Hinduism, how Hinduism addresses the problem of evil and suffering. Um, atheism argues that because evil and suffering exists, that God cannot exist. And so God can't exist if there is evil and suffering. Doesn't make that statement true. Right. Because uh, I've never quite understood that one, right? Like, if there's evil and suffering, I, I guess, like, what's your basis for even defining evil and suffering? Um, if God, uh, like, if there's no, nothing kind of greater, there's no higher value, no, like, more, uh, the late Ravi Zacharias would say, there's no moral lawgiver. Right. Um, then how can you say, well, that's evil or that's suffering? It's like, well, no, that's just, just, it just what it is. Right, it is. It so, is what it is. Uh, and yeah. we're going to get into that in a little bit, that idea of ought and ought not. Yeah. You know, that we, we ha all have this sense of what is kind of right and what is kind of wrong. 
And so to, to that argument that because evil and suffering exist, God cannot exist. Um, it's on, the, the burden of proof lies with that person that makes that statement, the, athe- the atheist or the agnostic, um, because Christians believe five basic premises about good and evil, that God exists, that God is omnipotent, that it means he is all-powerful, that God is omniscient, that is, God is all-knowing, yet God is wholly good, but evil exists, okay? So atheists argue that those things cannot all possibly be true at the same time, but yet the burden of proof is in their court. They have to prove that those things cannot exist, okay? So why is it that we assume that God can always eliminate evil without also eliminating some greater good? And it's this question that's built upon the assumption that God is only good if he eliminates all evil. But we've kind of touched on this a little bit, that that assumption that God is only good if he would eliminate all evil isn't logical. Because somehow we've bought into this idea that God and evil are somehow incompatible. But yet nobody has been able to prove this. I can't prove it. I certainly can't prove it. I'm not a philosopher. (laughs) Uh, Phil, you can't prove it. Nobody has been able to prove that those two cannot exist at the same time. Can you prove that I can't prove it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Do you have anything that you want to add? I I don't have anything that I want to add, so keep on going. Okay, so the the fact that that people acknowledge this, so especially skeptics, acknowledge and have categories for good and evil poses a problem, okay? Um, Because where did that idea come from? How do we define what's good and evil? So if, if you would claim to be a, an agnostic or an atheist or that, you know, somehow evil and suffering aren't real, where did that idea come from? Mm-hmm. Because maybe we should talk about hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that a little bit again. Um, so where did that idea come from, That this idea that things should be a certain way? Yeah. Because for the most part, cultures around the world would agree that certain behaviors are right and certain behaviors are wrong. So we all agree on these things and we would say that these behaviors that are wrong, you know, they're, they're detrimental to you know, society. When if you look at it from an evolution, evolutionary point of view, those behaviors, you know, might makes right. Are those things that would help you and your group get ahead? Oh yeah. It's, you know, the classic survival of the fittest. Right. Um, so how can you strong survive? Right. So, right. So how can we say that, you know, somehow these things just evolved when those things would have been beneficial for us to evolve as a species? So if we evolved those things and we have to then apply that same logic that we evolved our morals to the theory of evolution, that the only reason why we believe in the evolutionary theory is because it's somehow beneficial to us as a species. And I just wanted to to share a, a little bit from the, the book, The Problem of God by Mark Clark. Um, he says, this self-defeating contradiction was not lost on Charles Darwin, who admitted that if his evolution was true, he probably couldn't actually trust it because it was conf- conf- because it was the conclusion of an animal just trying to mate and survive. Who can trust, and then he quotes Darwin himself, who can trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? Boom. Boom. Who can trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? Uh, Continues, if evolution is true, then we are not rational creatures at all. And all truth claims go by the wayside, including the one that evolution is the way that we came up with 
moral categories. Right. So saying so that somehow the reason why we have, you know, why culture across the world agree that certain things are wrong is because we have somehow evolved those things. Yeah. Well, basically just saying like evolution can't, can't prove, can't prove those or things. describe, not, not describe, but um, can't prove that like, it can't be the reason for why we have a sense of right and wrong. Right. Um, so if it's, if it's not evolution, then where do those things come from? Yeah. There's nothing evolution, evolutionarily, evolutionarily true <laughs> about me, like someone going out of their way to like do something we would call good to help someone else. It's like, right. well, no, 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 because that actually goes against your survival instincts to do something for the benefit of somebody else. And so, unless yeah. somehow that would benefit you and your group, yeah, but which there's some evidence for that, right? Um, so anytime that you, know, you, you begin to argue with somebody over the problem of pain and suffering. You're arguing over a agreed upon standard. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you're agreeing that something is wrong and something is right. Right. Somebody getting sick and dying is wrong. Right. Something else is right. Somebody being mistreated or abused or murdered is wrong. So where did, where did that sense come from? I don't know, Paul. Where did that sense that human beings are valuable? Why do we say that you know, certain behaviors, you know, like riots... Um, like police shootings, why do we say that those things are wrong? What is our basis? What is our basis for saying that school shootings are wrong? What is our basis for saying that all those people, that they were innocent and therefore should not have been killed? Where do we get that from? You know, our, because deep down we're making the assumption that something is not the way it should be. And so if you be, take God out of the picture, then the problem becomes even bigger because then how do we know what something is supposed to even be like. Because Christians believe that the reason why we feel the way we do, why we agree that certain things are right and certain things are wrong is because we have been made in the image or in the likeness of God. That we have been designed to live in a certain place, a world without the effects of sin. And so that's why we long for beauty, for peace, for justice, for righteousness, for love. And the good news is that the whole Bible cares about the problem of evil and suffering. It's the story of how it affects us all. And yet at the end, Jesus is the one that is victorious over the cosmic powers of evil that reign in the world. Do you have anything that you want to add, Phil? Uh, I mean, I, I, well, the one thing that I just keep thinking of is, so yeah, like again, it may not be emotionally satisfying, but compared to, we, we talk about other worldviews and their views on pain and suffering, every worldview has to answer it. Um, but the idea of the Christian worldview, it doesn't ignore pain and suffering, and it recognizes that it's not supposed to be this way. Right. And the remedy for it ends up being a God who enters into the pain and suffering and experiences the pain and suffering himself. Right, to um, overcome evil in the world. And so it's like, as a faith that is built on a, a God who actually experience the most uh, grotesque, painful pain and suffering you could imagine. Like, why would we, we think that pain and suffering is an issue that just needs to go away? You right. know what I mean? It's like, it's there, it exists. Um, God's not denying it. Right. And so part of what we need to understand is that, you know, from the Christian perspective, when God created humanity, when he ordered the world, you know, we believe here, at least Phil and I believe that the story of Genesis isn't talking about exactly how God created the world, 
Bible right. is telling us who did it and why. It's more about that the purpose is tell us to, that God brought functioning to the, the chaos. And so God brought order out of chaos, Scripture tells us. And so certain things were ordered. Then God created humankind to help him bring that the rest of that order to all the rest of creation. Bring order and beauty and flourishing to all of creation. So we have order. There was non-order. And then whenever Adam and Eve decided that they were going to define good and bad on their own terms, that brought disorder into the created world. So we have order, disorder, and non-order. And pain and suffering are part of the non-ordered and the disordered world. Right. It's not part of the ordered world that God had set up in the beginning. So as the rest of the biblical narrative unfolds, it gives us an accurate depiction of the human condition. Yeah. That left our own devices, we all choose to define good and bad on our own terms and go our own way. But the story of the, of the Bible is God choosing people in spite of our tendencies to inflict pain and suffering on other people to bring about that order, to bring about history's ultimate fulfillment of God and humanity united again as one. And yeah. that culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that leaves us to, to, to wonder, well, why did create the world if he knew that pain and suffering were going to be a part of it? You know, we know that, that God knew the risk of Eden. You know, we could get dive deeper into this, but God knew the risk of Eden, but he chose to create humanity in spite of us or in spite of that, in spite of the risk, in spite of us, in spite of us, (laughs) Um, knowing what we were, how we were going to just wreck that good world. Right. He, he knew that, he wanted us to, to reflect his authority mm-hmm. and so give us the ability to, to decide on our own who yeah. we are going to choose, who we are going to serve yeah. him or ourselves. Because at the end of the day, God didn't make us be his puppets. He's not somehow pulling our strings. Dance he's given us, master dance. he's yeah. given us free agency to choose on our own. Ultimately he, he, d- he wants us to choose him, Yeah, but he's not going to force us to do that. Let's unpack it a little bit. Like so much of this comes back to so much, which we're discovering so much of uh, theology, faith, all of this is anchored in the first few chapters of Genesis. Um, And so much of the Christian faith in America, at least, has been completely detached from the Old Testament or the the Jewishness of the Old Testament in the Genesis story. But that idea that you were just touching on that when God is creating in the Genesis account, if you look at the ancient context and what what they thought of the world word create and what that meant. It meant to bring some functionality out of it. So he's making, like you said, the world ordered and, and, and functional for hum, human existence. But he only, it's only in a small little location, what we would call the Garden of Eden. Right. Humanity is given the task of bringing that everywhere. And that's what it means to be made in the image of God, right? He says, go and, and be fruitful, multiply. It, you're doing that. You're ruling in the goodness, in the wisdom of God's image. But Phil, I thought it was our face and that if we co- we wear a mask, then we're covering up the <laughs> no, image of that God. That is not the image of God. The image of God is a descriptor, and more of a descriptor in how we are to be in the world, how we are to live, how we are to reflect His character and goodness to the world around us. Well, tell that to Nino Vital. Oh uh, well, I want to tell a lot of things to him. <laughs> um, and so you, you know, you talked about you had order, which God brought, and He wanted humanity to continue to bring that order and flourishing. Mm-hmm. You have disorder, and you have non-order. Well, non-order was just anything that hadn't been ordered yet. And so when we think of, I would say things like uh, natural disasters fall into that category. It's not that it's disorder. It's nothing that humans did. Although sometimes, if you want to get into a topic on 
you know, climate change and different things. Sometimes that actually is brought on yeah. by humanity. Um, but that's just that's just a part of the dis or the non-ordered world still. Um, one of the best kind of stories of this is actually the flood narrative. It's not a question of did was there really a flood or not. It was a picture of undoing the order that God brought. If you want the order that I established to go away, here's what it looks like because water represents chaos. And then the disorder is humans actually causing evil and suffering by their own agency of, right. you know, abuse and, and violence and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, so much of that is anchored in that those just first few pages of Genesis. The reason that there is disorder and non-order and pain and suffering is because we, we chose it. Um, right. But is the choice that was important. Right. Why did God create the world if it was going to be like this? Well, he didn't have to make people, didn't have to make the, but it's like that God, the, the apostle John says God is love. And in the expression of his love, he's like, I just want to love on some people. You just got to love on it. But like, I, I'm creating this world and humanity simply because I want to love them yeah. because I have to. And love, you know, maybe you've heard this before, but it's absolutely true. Love always requires choice, free will, agency. Right. You can't force somebody to love you because that's not love. Yeah. And God isn't willing to violate that agency. Yeah. And so from, from the get-go, we see God setting out to do something about the chaos that we unleashed, mm-hmm. the evil and suffering that mm-hmm. humanity brought by choosing a family and then working through that family. Again, not trying to violate human agency and free will. Right. And so this is all part of that story. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, humanity originally created, and we see them as a picture in, in Adam and Eve, those two figures, um, whether it's just two people or figurative, like whatever, that, that's not the point. They were made to be the representatives of God, to rule and to reign in his image the way that he would, right? They failed at it. And so like the rest of the Old Testament story is like God kind of choosing more people and they keep failing at it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's Abraham's family which turns into the nation of Israel, they fail at it. All the kings fail at it, right? Like there's this this whole line of failures until you get to Jesus. Right. I think part of the problem that Christians have with pain and suffering, apart from just giving easy pat answers, and maybe because you walked away from the faith, it's because we've taught people to kind of just pick and choose what to read out of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And grab not, bag, not really, you know, theology. not really, you know, wrestle with the big picture because we read certain parts of the Old Testament and we're just appalled as we should be. Mm-hmm. And we forget what it's trying to tell us and what yeah. God is doing. And exactly. And the story, like Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story, right. not just some dude. Because, okay, humanity originally didn't, didn't get it right. You know, there's disorder and there's non-order. Okay, that brings a lot more into light than some of Jesus' teachings and his miracles and things. Right. Because right? what so, does he do? Yeah. We see Jesus going about and undoing the disorder that we introduced. Right. The, di- the disorder of violence and the evil that humans have done. Right. So we, whenever we say that God hasn't done something about the problem of evil and suffering, that's completely false because we see Jesus recognizing the work of the enemy and then working to destroy it. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus never attributed evil and suffering to God. In fact, we see the reverse. We see him healing the lame, the blind, the sick. We see him elevating the status of the oppressed women and children. We see him casting out demons, overthrowing the kingdom of darkness, and quietly subverting the power of the human empire, Rome. Yeah, and then even with issues of non-order, like there's pictures of Jesus. Okay, he's calming a storm, right? That's more than just a neat parlor trick to show his disciples, like, hey, look what I can do. It's like, no, no, no. 
like disorder and non-order is not supposed to be here. And here's what, whenever I show up onto the scene, disorder and non-order goes away. Right. And so if God somehow ordained and caused evil and suffering to happen, then Jesus would have been working against God. Yeah. But that's not at all what we see. Instead, we see Jesus undoing the effects of the fall. We see Jesus teaching us to pray that God's will would come on earth as it is in heaven. We see Jesus grieving over sin. We see Jesus grieving over death. We see Jesus entering into our own sin and suffering, not for his benefit, but for ours. Mm-hmm. And so if God wasn't able to do anything about evil and suffering, then what we see Jesus doing isn't possible. But people saw Jesus do those things. We have eyewitness accounts and they wrote those things down. So we, we know we, we have categories for evil and suffering. We know that they exist. And the Bible tells us a story about that, that God knows and that God chooses to use human communities in spite of our brokenness, yep. in spite of our, the way we mess things up sometimes, in spite of our sin, to fulfill the promise that he made to restore Eden, to get us back there. Yes. Uh, again, to quote Mark Clark, he says that Christianity proclaims a God who is not distant or removed from human suffering. You see, in every other religion, the God or gods remain aloof or distant, but the Christian God experienced human existence, identified and empathized with us, suffered with us and for us. And suffering is a reflection of who God is, not just something that he did. See, God didn't choose to turn a blind eye to our suffering. Rather, he entered into it. And so Christians believe that God did do something about the problem of evil and suffering, and he invites us to be part of it. God isn't helpless in the face of evil and suffering, as some people will say and accuse him of being. He didn't cause it, but he chose to strategically and patiently do something about it. Yeah. And so as, as Jesus was, you know, the fulfillment of that story, and as Jesus where he showed up disorder and non-order it goes away he heals he calms storms he does those things now as christians like we live in that same kind of light right like like the kingdom is a present reality but it's not fully here yet right but we are called as much as we're able to you know i can't just hold out my hand and say hey storm stop it um, but to enact that kind of, okay, we're going to bring order. We're going to be a part of the, what, what kind of failed in the garden and what's mm-hmm. failed through Israel, but what was fulfilled in Jesus, and we're still going to fail at it. But we're, we are to be the people that keep on saying, okay, let's bring order out of chaos. Let's bring healing where there's brokenness. Like we are, we are God's agents right. on the earth. We are supposed to be, yeah. We are called a, a, you know, a kingdom of priests for mm-hmm. a reason. God's representatives, his representation right. here. Yes. Um, so honestly, a lot of times, some of the issues that we see, not all of them, again, we, we're not like, we don't have all power, but a lot of the issues, as it relates especially to the disorder, violence, poverty, sickness, some, a lot of the things that are preventable, I, I, man, I put a lot of, I shoulder a lot of that blame on, on God's people, on the mm-hmm. church, for not doing what we're supposed to do. Right. Um, yeah. We're supposed to be living in the story of Jesus, mm-hmm. waiting for that ultimate fulfillment. God has done something about it. Right. And so to say that God is helpless in the face of evil and that, uh, and to make the assumption that we would somehow do better is just false. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you could, would you get rid of everything bad? Most people are saying yes right now. Most people would say yes. But before you say yes, let me ask you, have you ever done anything bad or done something that anybody would label evil? Have you, your kids, 
maybe your parents or grandparents ever done anything that anybody would say would be bad? Well, the only way for God to get rid of evil and suffering is for him to eliminate first all the people that complain about evil and suffering. Yeah. All the people that attribute it to God and the people that ask God, why don't you do something to get rid of all the bad people? Yeah. That means to get rid of me and get rid of you and get rid of all of us. Get rid of all of our audience. And so if you have a good reason not to get rid of all the bad that you see, then perhaps God does too. Mm-hmm. In fact, Christians believe that God has a reason. And that reason is you and me. You know, first or second Peter three, nine says uh, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, Christians believe that the current world isn't all that they're supposed to be, but it's the best possible path to the best possible world. A world where we're free to sin, yet we choose not to. So God has done something about the problem of evil and suffering. The Bible comes and addresses it head on. So, yeah, that's pain and suffering. And so if you walked away from the faith because of pain and suffering, I challenge you to rethink, to embrace the message of Jesus, to recognize that Jesus has done something, that he did enter into our pain and suffering, and that God is calling you and me to be part of his solution to what's wrong with this world. Agreed. So follow Jesus. He is God's answer to pain and suffering. And obviously, in our opinion, um, the best answer to pain and suffering that any worldview offers. Right. So. so don't try to get caught up in giving easy, pat answers to this problem because, again, there there aren't any easy. Don't try to, to point to the Bible and use the Bible to explain why bad things happen because, as Jesus showed us, we really don't know why. But instead, just choose to follow him. Yipper. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And we'll see you back here next week. 